So we've all heard the story today that uh, David read about the Red Sea. And we've heard it in such a meaningful way. Maybe some of us heard it when we were in Sunday school. Maybe some of us have seen it in the movies. And you know, they, the Israelites, they have just left Egypt and they are on the run. And then they look up and look back and they see that Pharaoh and his army is right behind them. And then they get all the way to the Red Sea and then they start, you know, complaining. Well, God, why did you bring us out here? We're going to perish. And Moses, I can't believe you let us all this way out. And then God says to Moses, stretch your hand out and the waters will be moved back and then your people will go through. And so that's what happened. He stretched his hand out and the water flew up and there was two wall, wall, one wall on each side and, and everything was fine. The Israelites marched straight through on dry land and they get all the way to the other side and look back and then the scripture says, Moses, stretch your hand back out so we can close this sea up on top of the Egyptians. So the sea closes up and then the Egyptians, they perish. And all is well. The Israelites are saved. Everyone of the Israelites, anyway, are happy. Maybe not so much the Egyptians. Maybe not so much the people who are back in Egypt who have lost all of their loved ones. But we always read this story from the side of the Israelites. We always see this story as it's us who need to get through to the other side, and it's us that's being chased by the devil, or it's us that's being chased by our enemy, or it's us that, be, that is being unfairly mistreated or oppressed. This scripture is one of the most hallmark scriptures of the civil rights movement for African Americans because of slavery and things that happened in that time. So this scripture is in our memory as being read from the perspective of the Israelites getting through the sea on dry land to the other side and being absolutely victorious and winning. Now this is our assigned scripture for this week. Uh, and I, what we follow is called the New uh, Revised Common Lectionary. So every week, scriptures are assigned for what churches for Catholic and Methodist and UCC and are supposed to preach on. You get four or five scriptures. This is one of the scriptures for this week. My question to us is simply, do you think that the people who have had eight feet of water in their homes feel victorious today? Do you think that the people who still can't get back in their homes feel victorious today? How might one of them hear this scripture in their lives as they are dislocated from their homes or as they are trying to get back to their home and have been totally, totally devastated? The discrepancy in this, in our thinking around this scripture, for me is simply this. In the days to come, and as time moves on, it is going to be a challenge for us, for those people who are not affected by the flooding or for those people 
who will get everything back and get in place in their home in two to three months. It is going to be a challenge for us to resist creating emotional distance for those who continue to suffer. We may find ourselves in a situation, any one of us, including myself, where it's, we're unable to take on the perspective of those who have been impacted. We might begin saying statements along the line of, the government is helping them. So it may take a little time for them to get back to normal, but they'll be okay. We may also find it a little bit difficult to stay out of judgment, and some of you probably have heard these statements already. Well, you should have had flood insurance. Or, you shouldn't have moved over there. If we are unable to take the perspective of those impacted and unwilling to stay out of judgment, it is going to be very difficult to respond to their sadness and to their pain. At best, we will have empathy for those who have been affected, empathy for our neighbors, empathy for our friends, or at worst, we will have sympathy or less. And you probably say, what's wrong with having sympathy? We send sympathy cards, right? No. Empathy is much better than sympathy. And rather than me going on trying to explain to you about the difference, I have a video for you to take a look at from Renee Brown to explain to us the difference between sympathy and empathy. So what is empathy, and why is it very different from sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take a perspective of another person, or recognize their perspective as their truth, staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space where someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, huh? Uh, no. You want a sandwich? Ah. Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, is an empathic response begin with at least. I have it, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. Well. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So 
you know what? I'm going to wipe your whole debt away. You get to go free today. What was it in the ruler's heart? Is it possible that there was empathy, that the ruler understood what it was like to have a debt and to not be able to pay it back? And so the ruler understood, let's pay this forward. I know what it's like to be in this situation, begging not to be thrown into a debtor's prison. Then this official leaves out and someone owes him or her $20. And what does he do? He gets mad at the guy, throws him into prison for $20. Now remember, this guy owed the ruler how much? Two million. And he just threw somebody else into prison for $20. A lack of empathy and a lack of sympathy. And you see at the end, as the gospel always does, you know, there's a threat. If you don't do this, then you'll be treated the same way as this other one was treated. I would say to us today, our job as a church, our role as Christians, is to be like the ruler that is in this story. It is to be like the ruler that can have empathy for people, to understand what they are going through, to understand what their life is like, and to take action. It is not enough just to have a warm, fuzzy feeling. Marcus told me last night that someone says, I have felt so completely blessed during this but also absolutely heartbroken. That heartbrokenness is nothing without action. It is not enough just to have a warm and fuzzy feeling saying, oh, how sad for those people, or oh, what, what are those people going to do? No, no, no. That is sympathy. What empathy does is moves you from the place of where woe is them to the place of woe is us. Empathy moves you to the place of action. The ruler took action when the call was put before him. That is what the power of empathy can do in our given situation. It is a call for us to take action. We have already built 100 disaster buckets that need to go out. We have already created over 500 hygiene kits that need to go out. I would say that for those, those folks, those people who are feeling like they are still in the Red Sea, that they did not make it through the other side, it is our empathy that is calling us to respond, to take action. I love this bit of scripture because just before this, when the Israelites were complaining, just a chapter before, Israel told them, uh, Moses told them to stand and to see the deliverance of the Lord. This is the same piece of scripture where a lot of songs come from that says, just stand. This is the same piece of scripture where all of those songs come from that talk about standing on God and standing on the promises. This is from that same area. 
So what do we say to those who feel as though they are standing in the middle of the water that is running over their head? Can we tell them to stand and see the deliverance of the Lord? I say we can, because that deliverance, my friends, is you and me. When we can say stand and see the deliverance of the Lord, I feel your pain. I am here to help you. I am coming out to your house to rip down sheetrock. I'm coming to your house with a disaster bucket. I'm showing up at the George R. Brown with a hygiene kit because everybody needs to shower. Everybody needs to be able to wash their hair. I'm showing up to say, I am here for you. Oh, and by the way, this absolutely sucks. But we can stand and see the deliverance of God when we take that empathy, our feeling, and move it into action. It's not enough just to feel bad. It's not enough. We have to take action. We have to take action. And if you can't take action, physical action, then do what the people in our congregation who can't take physical action do. Write a check. And they've done it. And you can see the number in your bulletin. So I thank all of you who have given so faithfully. So if you can't take physical action, write a check. But for the rest of you, let's figure out how we can walk with our neighbors and our friends who have been affected, people in this congregation who have been affected, and say, boldly, this sucks, but let's stand and see the deliverance of the Lord right here and right now. Amen.